All right, welcome back to the Awakening Innovations podcast. I am Michael Barnes, your host. And today we have Ravi Jayagopal here. Um, he is a very interesting person. I'm excited to hear what he has to tell us, uh, you know, solutions and, and ways to succeed in life. So he is a business coach. He is a six-time author, which is really pretty cool. He's a speaker, uh, podcaster with two shows, um, full-time entrepreneur, digital marketer, online course creator, WordPress plugin creator, and evangelist. Uh, I assume that's related to the WordPress. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> and, and cool, uh, a couple of cool facts. He's an amateur ventriloquist and coolest geek on the planet. Uh, and he says to search Google and you'll see what he's talking about. So um, with that, uh, really pleased to welcome you, Ravi. Uh, glad hey, that you're here. Hey, Michael. Thank you for having me on your show. You nailed my last name. So we're <laughs> off to a great start. All right. Awesome. And I will probably not say it again, just to, to leave <laughs> on a high note there. <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm excited to talk to you today. And I'd like to start off with the simple open-ended question. Um, you know, how did you get here? How did you get to this point in life? So my whole thing when I was growing up was that my father, uh, my late father, he, he was in the film industry uh, in, in, in India. I grew up in India. And uh, the whole time I was growing up, he used to work from home because he was a writer and lyricist and director. So he worked a lot from home. We had a lot of people coming home. He had a nice office. So uh, this was later in, in, in our lives. In earlier uh, a part of our life, we, had a, we were living in a really small two-bedroom apartment with like five people. So we had our struggles, but... Uh, See, when I say struggles, it's always, uh, it's all, it sounds like a, it's a first world problem because I was lucky enough to have great parents who provided everything. I never, uh, we were always like middle class. Uh, we were, I, I, it's hard for me to say we were poor or anything like that. Mm -hmm. There's no rags to riches story here. It was just uh, a constant grind of trying to get better. And I was not a great student uh, in college. I, I, did, I did pretty well, but compared to, you know, how Asian countries all, uh, the students are really, really uh, focused on school. I was not. I was always uh, more of an entrepreneurial type. I wanted to do a whole bunch of different things, try out the, the different uh, types of, uh, you know, singing and acting and talent, all kinds of stuff. Nice. I was never least interested in studies. So, uh, and watching my father uh, work from home on his own time, he was there when I got home from school. He, he could do whenever whatever you know we could go for a movie on a weekday a kind of thing so that was always ingrained in me that that level of uh freedom whether it's financial freedom or time-based freedom so i always uh that was ingrained in me from the, from childhood and my whole purpose was eventually to get to a place where i could be on my own i could do, do my own things mm -hmm. um, and i didn't have to necessarily uh, have to work for somebody and be in a nine to five because nine to five was completely opposed to what I had seen growing up. So, right. but ultimately it ends up that I had to go through a, a nine to eight or nine to nine job uh, for many <laughs> years. Nine to five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I had to go through that when I uh, came to the U S with my family in 2000, uh, I mm -hmm. had to work for about 10 years and, uh, before I could get a green card and process citizenship. So 
do a lot of little hurdles along the way. And uh, for me, the whole thing was the, the one thing that kept me going through the whole thing was the why, well, which is the first thing, uh, why I'm doing this. I wanted to move for the sake of my family, better circumstances, better opportunities financially and uh, uh, physically and environmentally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then uh, more opportunities for myself because I was, uh, I had a website back in 1997 and uh, it was a website about baby names and 98 was when it, it launched. And I was really having a really hard time trying to uh, get a merchant account to sell stuff online. So selling books, selling eBooks, everything was harder back then. Uh, PayPal was, I don't know if it was there or it was just starting out. A right. lot, lot of merchants didn't accept Indian merchants because they considered a high risk. Right. Because it's not like today where anybody can go to Stripe and get an account and start selling quickly. So, yeah. so at every step, it was like one more hurdle, one more hurdle, one more hurdle. And it felt like I was living in somebody else's body for about 10 years because all I wanted to do was uh, get a green card so I could start my business and be full time. Yeah. But it, what did you little, do for those 10 years? I was uh, working at different jobs. I worked for uh, multiple Fortune 10, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies. I was a software architect, Java, J2E kind of thing. So uh, I was doing really, really well at my job. And most people would kill for a job and a pay, paycheck like that. Right. But, but for me, that was not satisfying. Um, obviously, money was really good, but uh, it was always like being in a uh, fancy prison, right? So yeah. it, I always wanted to get out of it. And uh, so when I eventually, when my wife and I, we became full-time, she quit her lucrative job. I quit my lucrative job in New York. Uh, so I was go- traveling to Manhattan and it was really hard because, uh, you know, when you have a young family, young little kids, you have a home to take care of, and then you have all these chores and responsibilities. Then you have a really uh, demanding job. And the problem with uh, some of the immigration stuff was that you had to hold a job for a certain number of years to get the, the, your green card. And because of uh, the unfortunate 9-11 incident and uh, a whole bunch of economy going down, and then there was the 2006, 2007 uh, you know, market crash. There was so many things going on, holding on to a single job. See, I didn't have a problem getting another job, right. but if I got another job, that means my green card starts all over again. So the three, four, five years of processing goes down the drain. So right. I have to start afresh, which means another five. That's why a four to five year process took me 10 years because uh, companies, I couldn't stick to one company because of all these uh, external factors. And, uh, you know, we are a company, my wife and I were both working for, got bought out by this conglomerate and they started laying off people. So we, we, did, we wanted to make sure that we didn't both get laid off at the same right. time. So I actually voluntarily quit that job to go get another one when I could have just stayed there and nothing really happened there. I could have just continued there and uh, started this whole process like three, four years sooner. But, you know, you always have to consider so many factors. You don't know. Yeah. With yeah, that, that's actually really interesting because a lot of people, a lot of Americans don't understand the, the whole immigration process. Um, and I've talked to a number of people who've gone through it. I've talked to any number of people who have stayed in jobs that they hated so that they could finish it. Um, in fact, 
uh, one of my friends was telling me he was in he was in a consulting firm and these people were like a month away from completing everything and they lost their jobs and so that really yeah. messed them up it you know it's one of these weird things where people just don't know yeah and and there are so many different little rules uh, that if you lose your job if you are on h1b visa work visa and if you lose your job you have i think like 30 days or 60 days to get another job if not you have to go back now my wife is working my kids are here my we have a home here if i have to go back right. and and start the whole process there's no guarantee i'll come i'll be able to come back because now i have to get into the immigration process from india or the whichever us consulate right so i and they have to approve Right. another work visa so there's always you're literally hanging by a thread the whole time and that those 10 years were really tough uh, yeah. because you're trying to manage all these things and then you have a uh, you want to you can't just mail it in at your day job you, uh, and right. you know, being, being a competitor and wanting to really be great at what i do you know i had to put in the work and i did put in the work and i was really at the top of my game so uh, i was leading a team of people making a lot of money uh, we had really great name but all that means that you had to put in a lot of time and effort and everything else into your day job which means there's very little left for me for my side gig that i was trying to build while i had a day job so that you know i was trying to line up the ducks so yeah. to speak so that when i the day comes when i want to quit i'll have something to fall back on so mm -hmm. constantly juggling through all these things and then family health issues or older parents back home going back so that, you know uh that's why i think uh, sometimes immig immigrants can be a lot more grateful because nothing is given everything is earned right, right? so we have to we have to work for especially immigrants who are coming here on a uh, work visa you have there are so many different hurdles and it kind of sharpens the the, the knife so to speak and mm -hmm. you you try to uh deal with dealing with all the adversity and uh, uh uncertainty on a day-to-day -day basis week-to-week -week basis and then and then you, you never know how the u.s government will change the rules right. if they say that's it guys no more work visas uh, you know, you, need, you guys need to go back. Now we are in trouble because we have mortgage and we have cars. <laughs> Kids are growing right. up in a completely different uh, system here in a different country. They, uh, obviously, they'll they'll probably be able to adjust much uh, easier than adults. But still, <laughs> it, you have to think of all those things. And yeah. then, and then having to work through a day job, which means uh, now you start. You have only four or five hours left when you get home. And if you want to work on your side gig, now you start cutting off things. So that's how you learn time management, priority management. So that means all the other nonsense goes out the window. All the nice to haves, uh, watching a TV show uh, or, or a soap or whatever it is, or you know, uh, all, all the, the sports and, and Netflix. There was no Netflix. They're still using Blockbuster back then. <laughs> 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 and uh, it was always oh one more thing to do drive each way kill blockbuster <laughs> no exactly and then you you forget to, to return it the list the late fees right <laughs> and then when you actually want to watch something you realize that you never returned the tape so you have right. to get it in your car it might be closed it's like constant so those are all the first yeah. world problems and now now you start cutting on sleep so i was sleeping four to five hours a day because i i, I used to come home like six seven o'clock from the city 
and then spend some time with my family and then kids go to bed. Now I go into the basement and start working up to like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in the morning. Now I have a five o'clock train. So yeah. I'm trying to catch a snooze on the train and working on my book in the train on the train. So uh, it comes down to severe, extreme levels of time management and priority management. And yeah. that's what, you know, sharpens the sword. So absolutely, absolutely. So what were you working on? What's the side gig you're working on? So I had, when I came to this country in, in 2000, uh, I, uh, the first thing I did was, because I had my baby names website from back in India, uh, the first thing I did was sign up for a merchant account. Uh, I started selling eBooks and that's when I realized that then I started using PayPal because now I could sign up. It felt like, you know, I was in a whole new world. So <laughs> I, I signed up for anything. Wow. I can't, I can't believe I don't have to give my right. family history to get a PayPal account. <laughs> so uh, then I realized that uh, there's a lot of issues with uh, processing payments back then, because what, what PayPal used to do was you created a buy button to sell something like an ebook, for example, mm -hmm. this only this was only a problem for digital products. So if you uh, when you created the buy button, you had to say where they would go after uh, they bought the ebook, right? So and the thank you page URL would be right in the button code. Okay. Back then there was no encrypted buttons, so it was uh, naked buttons. So you you could so anybody can come to your website, do a view source see where the thank you page was, go there and directly download your PDF, <laughs> right? So I said, okay, there has to be a better way. And because I was a programmer uh, and, uh, and a geek, so I started doing some research and I, I created uh, the world's first uh, PayPal download protector, right? Okay. Uh, which uh, allowed you to uh, go pay PayPal, come back and there would be a temporary page generated which would, you cannot go there directly. If you went there directly, it would say, sorry, you don't have access to this page. And right. this is, remember, this was the time of no WordPress. Everything was HTML. You had to hand code everything. Yeah. So I, I started creating these PHP scripts. And around the same time, uh, there was a, a, a kid uh, who's now become a huge marketer. Uh, he came to my, uh, he sent me an email saying, hey, I, I saw your contact us form on this website. Would you mind uh, giving me the code? So uh, that's how primitive the web was in terms of for creators, at least, right? right? You, even for a simple contactless form, you had to code a PHP yeah. and you had to know how to code PHP and you had to know what the heck is PHP. So, uh, so I said, okay, uh, that's when I got a, you know, a epiphany and said, wow, I can sell the script to this guy. Right. So I, I just made up a number, $30. Yeah. I, I that was a huge number at the time, right? And like, yeah. who's, who's going to pay, you know, $30 for this. And he said, okay, no problem. And I'll pay you $10 to install it on my website. I was like, whoa, $40 <laughs> like that. <laughs> That's awesome. So I did that. And then I got the idea that maybe more people can use this stuff. So I started packaging all this PHP stuff, the download protector, PayPal stuff, ClickBank was another payment processor. So I started creating this suite of scripts and created a website called My Webmaster in a Box. Okay. So you could go there, you could buy scripts. It had instructions on how to download something, change a few things like your name and your email kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and then upload it to your website and you would have a beautiful form or something like that. So, so that's how then, so I started working on that. that. That really started taking off, but I could not, spend, I lost a lot of sales because I would get calls during the day right. for customer support. Yeah. Right. Uh, and 
uh, one of the later jobs, so one of the later jobs I had, they gave me a phone to, for, for work. So now I had two phones and at this point I was not getting any phone calls or anything, but I still wanted, you know, somebody had a quick question. I wanted them to be able to give a number. Sure. So, so I said, you know, what's the, what's the harm, right? I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm going to take calls during work hours, maybe on lunch or something. So I changed that, that number to my work number. Mm -hmm. And that eventually ended up to, to led to be me getting fired. Okay. Because I used a work number. So yeah. it's all, you're, you're pushing all these boundaries, you know, because you're trying to manage so many things. And, and at the time I was devastated. Uh, it, it, that was not the only thing that led to uh, uh, people looking at me. Oh, this guy has a website on the side. They started, you know, doing research. So this guy goes home and does stuff. So he is doing money on the, making money on the stuff. It, it was not acceptable back in the day. Now it's common, right? Side right. gigs, yeah. people drive Ubers or, or, you know, you have multiple jobs, but back then everything was different for immigrants and for uh, general employees in time to the whole gig economy was not there. Right. It was unheard of for people to have a website on the side or a blog on the side and make money from it. Right. Gosh, imagine five dollars. My, my employees are making money that I'm not giving them. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it, so many different things. And uh, now I had a laptop. So I had to be careful to not even go to my own websites uh, to check on the train. Uh, yeah. or uh, stuff like that because they would monitor. So now it, everything it becomes a cat and mouse game and you're constantly juggling between uh, you have to, I want to do well at work, but at the same time when other people are taking an hour lunch and uh, long walks around the neighborhood, I don't care for it. I would rather learn something right. and work on my side gig or whatever, but you can't do that because now it's, everything is frowned upon. So those are all the little things. And so eventually I, I, I started working on that, uh, you know, that, that website started growing and it, that kind of became my calling card that I, would, I was creating scripts for marketers and yeah. entrepreneurs and digital creators. And uh, the, around the time we started uh, Digital Access Pass, which was a combination of everything I had learned and put together. Mm -hmm. And that, that was starting to grow, but I was literally burned out. I was not getting sleep uh, right. three or four hours. I was super stressed out. My job was not going uh, very well. Um, in fact, my job was going very well, but you know, all the related stuff, I, right. I, I, I didn't want to be there. Yeah, and, and you had to live as a spy. <laughs> right, exactly. And then you're, you're worried that somebody will uh, find out what you're doing you know, in your nightlife, like Superman right. getting, getting found out. Right. <laughs> so uh, what happens? The evil villains will get unleashed. Right. So, yes. so you're, you're constantly trying to juggle carrying two phones, you know, two laptops. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so you were pretty buff back then. You carry your <laughs> two <laptops>. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. My shoulder was like massive and all right. <laughs> the, the, the two, two laptops in my shoulder bag. And exactly. then have, have, so you look like Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, my Facebook profile is called Dapper Man. I have a, a image of the Superman thing with my face, and it says D for Dap. So yeah. I call myself Dapper Man, Digital Access Pass. So, um, yeah, it's always trying to stay ahead of the curve, trying to manage balanced priorities, making sure you don't do anything stupid at work, uh, but at the same time, you want to do well. You don't want 
uh, your peers to do better than you, right? So you're mm -hmm. putting 100% into your job. You have to put 100% into your family. So where's the third? There's no third 100% to put into your side mm -hmm. gig uh, yeah. at night in the basement, right? While losing sleep. So uh, coming back home and, and taking two trains and slipping and sliding in the snow, having to shovel the driveway before I get to work. Uh, it was just... Uh, and that was like, okay, at every step, it's like this, uh, the movie where you, you see that the guy is, is, is stuck in an abyss and he's trying to get out. You know, you have to literally that movie, I, I forget the name. He had to cut, cut, cut his arm because he was stuck. Uh, right, under a boulder. Yeah, yeah, boulder. And he had to cut, cut his arm to, to get free. And because you see the big picture, right? That's yeah. how it was. Literally, uh, obviously, I'm exaggerating. I didn't have to cut off any <laughs> body parts. But... Uh, Mental. Yeah, and then yeah, the mental part is, uh, and it's always the one thing that keeps you going is the why. Why am I doing this? It's for my family, for my my wife, my kids, for their better future, and for my better future. And uh, you know, and once you're convinced that you're in the best place you can be, and you're doing it for a certain reason, and you can see yourself, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right. and you just focus on that one thing. You know, you you block out all the noise, all the issues, and you just keep moving forward. Yeah, that's that's great. That's a great story, um, and it, it it's always great to talk to people who do the first of anything. Um, you know, it's kind of funny, right? So you know, these days, all of, all of what you're talking about is oh, you know, WordPress. You you click a button over there, whatever, and you're done. And so many people don't understand that. In fact, one of the, one of the sayings I have is, you know. Once you know the answer, it's easy. Until then, it's impossible, right? <laughs> exactly. So that's actually a really cool story to me. So, Thank so you. what are you doing these days? So we, my wife and I, we moved here uh, to San Diego in 2010. We quit our jobs, and since then, we have been uh, working on our business, uh, DigitalAccessPass.com. That is our WordPress mm -hmm. membership plugin. And we have since created a whole suite of uh, WordPress plugins for marketers and digital creators. We have uh, probably about 15, 20 plugins uh, right now, including SmartPayCart that's created by my wife, Veena Prashant, who is the co-founder and co-developer of our business mm -hmm. and, and Digital Access Pass. So she works uh, full-time with, we have a team. Uh, she manages the team. We, we are still developing software. We support it, we develop plugins. And then we offer courses, digital courses. We have community and we both have podcasts. So she has a podcast called Membership Site Lab. My podcast is at subscribeme.fm. So mm -hmm. we are, we are constantly, we are creating everything around. We, yeah. We're trying to focus, you know, uh, it's, it's always easier to go down the same path rather than go all these shiny new niches and, uh, oh, Bitcoin, let's, let me create a course about Bitcoin, even though I don't, I don't know a darn yeah. thing about it, right? You don't want to do that. So you want to be, continue to create. We listen to our community. They tell us what they want. We improve existing plugins. We create new plugins. So that's our flagship uh, business. Okay. So this is maybe a bit strange question but how long does it take to create a plugin right i use them and you know some of them are free and some of them are 78 bucks and some of them are 500 bucks and you know we get used to the free stuff and i'm like oh my god i have to pay for this so 
So what does it take on your end to make and maintain and support and that kind of stuff a plugin? It's one of the hardest businesses, believe it or not, uh, because WordPress is, it's one thing if you have a single website where people are coming and logging into your website and doing everything there, mm-hmm. right? But WordPress is, you're, basi- you're basically, there are, people are installing it on their website, which means it has to play well on their website with other plugins, their themes, right. their uh, security software, they have their hosting account. There's like 20 different things around your plugin that all have to work seamlessly, which means you have to design it carefully, you have to develop it carefully, you have to think of all the surrounding components, what can cause conflicts, what can cause issues. And you uh, so uh, that's why you, if you see even the, the free plugin developers, they offer tiers. There's the free tier. Right. And then if you want more features, because at some point you're going to have to, you, it's very hard to, unless the plugin is fairly simple, it's very hard to create a completely free plugin, which is free for everybody all the time uh, and with all the features and put it on wordpress.org because uh, if it's free, that means a lot of people will download it. And the hardest thing is supporting 50, hundred thousand people for no charge. Right. And that comes back to, you know, if you have to spend that much time supporting them, then who's paying for your, for your living, right? Uh, a lot of these people will have day jobs, which means they have to you know, go to work just like I was doing back in the day. And if you don't learn to monetize it, that's all you're going to do. It's going to be a hobby on the side. And, right. you want, and there are a lot better hobbies than logging to people's servers at midnight for three hours troubleshooting what is causing this issue with this other plugin. And then right. sometimes you learn that the other plugin was not very well developed, but when you <laughs> tell them, uh, hey, it's, go, go check with this other developer, it becomes a problem because they're like, oh, now you're blaming other pl- developers or right. other plugins. So WordPress plugin is a very hard industry, which is why you have to have a lot of uh, uh, you know, development skills uh, and you have to support it because developing it one thing, the next tier is supporting it and the biggest tier is marketing it because if you want to monetize it you have to know how to market it because it's one thing to just upload it to wordpress.org and have a bunch of people talk about it and download it that's great and dandy and stuff uh, you know you'll get 500,000 downloads just because it's it's like the free apps of the app store right. but if you want to monetize and if you want to do a, if you want to make a living out of it and you want to quit your day, day job and you want to do this full time then you have to monetize whether it is a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever it is, whatever it is that you're creating, uh, there's a difference between being a, it being a hobbyist versus being an entrepreneur because you have to yeah. always build a monetization at every level and, and you have to know how to do it well. And just because you say, hey, go sign up for my course or go sign up for my uh, and podcast, again, a lot of the same thing. Uh, people uh, spend way too much time trying to figure out how do I get my show to 5,000 downloads so that I can go on like a midroll.com or something and get advertisers. It's not as simple as that. It's not just about hitting a number and, and getting an advertiser because the first thing the advertiser does after the first uh, episode, first ad is how many people from you, your, your coupon code or special code came there. And if week after week, if nobody is engaged, you're going to lose that one advertiser you spent three years building 5,000 downloads for 
So I, you're better off using it as a marketing platform to promote yourself, your books, your products, services, whatever it is. So if, you, if you're not interested in monetizing, that's again another thing, right? So it always comes down to, uh, you call it an overgrown hobby, you know, so you have to go, there's a scale from extreme right. hobby, like, you know, uh, gardening where you have you expect zero monetization nobody you're not right. saying i'm spending all this time knitting or gardening or playing ping pong or chess and i how do i get paid no you're not thinking like that or right. golf or tennis whatever it is on the other extreme is you're trying to monetize you're trying to build a product you want people to pay you so that you can continue doing more of that and creating better products and better, better services right. for them so it's always that scale you have to balance so how does somebody learn to monetize, you know, we'll just call it a hobby, right? So whatever it is, how, what's the best way that you have learned to learn how to monetize? So there are two schools of thought. One is you, uh, I talked about this on my podcast at subscribeme.fm as well. Do you create a product first or do you get the audience first? Okay. So, um, some people would say, you know, build an audience and then ask them what they want and then build those products. Yeah. Right. So you can do that when you are already in, uh, you know, a, a very senior level person, you have a lot of experience promoting products, you have a team, so you can go into any niche dominate. You can buy existing audiences. You can advertise, you know, paid advertising buys you audiences. You can go to go after influencers and pay the money to get their audience. So there are a lot. So there's a lot, there's different school. So you, one side is building an audience first and then building products for them. But for 99% of the people, what works is starting with what you are good at. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, I call it, call it the golden intersection, which is an intersection of uh, your skill. It's a bunch of things. So it's your skill, uh, what monetizable skill, right? So if you are good at chess.com and you're playing or playing ping pong in your, in your garage, it's not mo very monetizable, right? right. You, I'm sure you could figure ways to, you know, maybe you can host a local community tournament or something and then <laughs> sell tickets, but it, for everything you have to be really creative. So the better the monetizable skill you have, now you say, okay, I, I have the skill whether it is your editor, your audio or video editor. So now you can say, I've been doing this in my day job. Let's say video editing. Well, mm -hmm. I've been doing this in my day job. What can I do online? So now you go and you find out who needs this, your services. So you start with, the very first thing you start with is trying to see if you can package your service, right? Because not everybody can create software product. Obviously that's the dream situation where you can create once, and sell over and over. I call it dosa, right? Uh, dog poo and dosa. Dog poo is do once, get paid only once. That's a acronym I came up with. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, dog poo stinks. Uh, and yes. dosa is do once, sell again and again. So, software, digital products, those are the best options. But not everybody can start at that level if you're not a right. programmer. And if you're non-technical, and if you go to Upwork.com or something and and try to hire. A, programmer you'll get burned because you won't know what to tell them how to monitor them how to make sure they're they're doing the right thing they're not giving you a subpar product so you don't want to start there start with whatever your skills are and then figure out okay is the skill monetizable are people paying for this stuff already if nobody's paying for it then you're in trouble right if you're the first of your kind in whatever it is that you're doing it's going to be a hard harder sell but if there are lots of people already doing it 
then a lot of people will say, oh my God, there's so many people already doing that. The, I don't want to do this, right? It's the actual op opposite. The more people that are doing this and monetizing, that means there's a market for it. That, that right. means there are people there or paying mm -hmm. for it. That means you have a marketable audience. So now you say, okay, now I have the skill. How can I create it? You can create a productized service where you can say, instead of saying I'll work on a project basis, which is very hard to do, it's you're basically bringing your day job right. home. Yeah. Now you, ha you, know, you have to go after gigs and you know what happens if this guy uh, finishes his product or a project or loses his funding? Now you gotta go start searching for another client. So client work is very hard if you're doing one customer or a couple of customers at a time. So you wanna productize it, you want to go and start figuring out who are you, who's your target audience who needs this marketers is it can you learn audio editing on top of video editing uh, okay now can you offer uh, you know podcast agency related skills or video marketing agency related skills package them put them on a website now you go to facebook groups join there uh, start uh, uh, helping people that's the most important Great. thing build relationships start helping people write an ebook or create a free course and start building a list. So you you do all of those you know uh, things. So I would say start with the product first because you are you are you know what you do best, and it's very easy when you're passionate and skilled at something. It's very easy to go through what Seth Godin calls the dip. So you everybody starts off in the in anything new like this, and then there's the dip that goes down. And you 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 will hit a low point before right. you start ramping up. So to get through that dip, you have to have your why clear, your uh, skills, your passion have to align because you can't just go into any new market unrelated. You will get bored pretty fast and you will get burned out. Yeah, and, and I get that entirely. Um, and as we know, Seth's got some great, great advice to give as well. So uh, yeah, I, that, that's great. I, I appreciate all of that. And for our audience, um, there are a number of people who are looking to get started um, and, and find ways to, you know, in this case, to monetize things. And so is that something that you help people with or yes. you're just so, an expert or what? <laughs> I'm an expert and uh, I, will, I will live with that. <laughs> so okay. yes, I, I am a business coach. I, I have been helping entrepreneurs, digital creators, business scale I have you know we have uh, over 40,000 users at digitalaccesspass.com a lot of people want to grow there and that through my podcast my coaching and consulting I have a lot of clients uh, I work with them one-on-one -on -one, as well as I have a group coaching and one-on-one -on -one coaching program it's all there at subscribeme.fm and so monetizing that's what I, I, I tell people is first thing is figure out okay uh, so let's say you started the product right now you start finding an audience. Mm -hmm. uh, later on in, in, in your career, you can start with an audience and then build products for them. Sure. But yeah, for once people, you have an audience, you can start with the audience. But if you don't have an audience, don't start there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The easiest thing to do when you don't have an audience is to start with a remarkable product or yeah. service, right? And, uh, and, and you can start with one person at a time. People worry about, oh, will the scale, will this... Can I get this to 50,000 people now? Uh, see if you can get one person to buy your stuff first. Right. Right. Uh, that's where you hone your marketing skills, your sales page writing, your copywriting, your 
uh, how do you set up your website, your landing page, your all these little things come, you, you develop your instincts and your skill for that. And then people uh, ignore one-to-one -one -on -one marketing, one-to-one -one marketing. They're always thinking one-to-many, but there's immense value in one-on-one. -on -one. So um, one of the things, I have a course, uh, one of the courses is called 1001 True Fans based on Kevin Kelly's 1000 True Fans concept. So it's 1001 True Fans because I also show you in the course how to actually implement it. It's not just okay. a concept. So, and I talk about, you know, how you can start with writing a Kindle book, right? Uh, yeah. Or, right, because books still have a lot of value. Uh, as an author, you have a lot of value. Right, and uh, it because one thing to say, I have a free report. Uh, right. Every everybody and their dog has a free report. <laughs> right? uh, nobody cares. But if you have a Kindle book, and you have if somebody goes to your website, uh, to the Amazon page for your Kindle book, and they see five, ten, fifty reviews. Right. You, the the whole perception of your it could be the same darn report that you are right. publishing as a Kindle book, but there is perceived value, social proof. Right, all those things. So now you can use that. You can uh, use that to build your list. You can go into uh, groups. You can obviously, uh, you have to offer value first. You have answered questions, stay in the community. Uh, you know, a few years back, I went from a uh, first time podcaster uh, doing his first time, you know, first ever podcast. I was barely one year into my podcast and I joined a group and Facebook group or podcasting group and offered so much value that uh, I developed relationships with the admins and eventually I ended up speaking at podcast movement okay. on stage. So nice. yeah, yeah. So you, if you always come from, I want to give first, give, 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 you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's jab, 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 right hook. So uh, give before you ask. So if you're constantly providing value and the best way to do that is Facebook groups or online forums, which there are still a few of them out there. You can join and dominate. You can dominate with value, right? You can just floor people with value when you're in any Facebook group because nobody does that anymore. Right, yeah. You know, it is so easy to set yourself apart even in this day of so much noise that you go into a forum and it's not just about answering the simple questions, right? If you join a podcast group, they'll say, hey, what, what podcast host should I use? Should I use Anchor, Ellipsin, Blueberry? Giving, hey, I use... Blah, right? That's not the thing. If you can give out thoughtful answers and give out your perspective, stuff you have learned, so that's where you have to be an expert first, right? right? If you don't know what you're talking about, you'll, you will get exposed very quickly on social yeah. media because one lousy post and you will have 50 people hating on you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, fly on rice uh, yeah. or weed on rice, whatever it is. So, um, you have to be an expert. So that means you have done stuff, you have perspective, you have knowledge, you will have done, made mistakes. So you can see things. It's, right. like, a, it's like a great basketball player or something. You'll, you see the play developing before it happens. You, see, you ask somebody, you, somebody asks a question, how do I do this? And the, a lot of people will answer based on just their experience alone. Oh, I use this, I use this, I use this. But if you are an expert, you'll say, look, if you use this, Here's the problem you'll have. And if you use this, this is what's happened. And here's what I have found. Use this, right? right? So now you are like, wow, okay. People are 
take notice because now you are not just answering basic questions with one-liners. You're writing thoughtful answers. You're giving perspective. You're, you're talking about things nobody thought about before. That's where you make your mark. And now you can go into Facebook groups. Then, now, then you can, if you have a Kindle book or if you have a podcast, you can add value. You can say, answer the question and say, by the way, I talked about more about this on my podcast right. at this episode. Yes. Right? You can you can actually create episodes specific to answer questions, uh, and then send that send that to to the group. Then you write a Kindle book. Then you ask the Facebook admin, "Hey, do you mind if I share? I, I would love to give away my my Kindle book, paid Kindle book. Remember, it's a paid Kindle book with yeah. twenty reviews, has a lot of value. Do you mind if I give it to your group for free?" They'll say yes because you have developed a relationship. You have added so much value to them; they feel obligated. So the key is to you know keep giving value, and then you you build your audience and you build build your email list. Very important. And then you use things like repurposing. So you can, if you write something, you put it on your forum, you put it on your web blog, you put it, you create a podcast out of it. You, uh, then if you're recording the video, you put it on YouTube. Then you take snippets, you put it, you know, use an app like Headliner, you put it on uh, social media and you repurpose the heck out of it because now your, your audience can see you or find you. You can even take snippets and put it on TikTok. A lot of people right. are underestimating TikTok as a, a silly kids, kid video lip syncing thing. But, you know, I've seen a lot of marketers. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm starting to put my content out there and I get a lot of organic views because... It, it, like any platform, everything starts with silly, being silly, right? Twitter was all about people sharing uh, their streamline of the food they ate during the day. It was the most boring platform until people understood the value of that. And platforms like TikTok and Instagram are the same way, you know, uh, because on Instagram, it's one minute video, right? Uh, right. Initially, at least, uh, you, you can still share uh, it to IGTV, a longer video. But still, you're forced to, on, on YouTube, if you go first on podcast, same problem, two, three, four minutes of ads and introductions and, hey, what's up? How's the weather there? What did you do over the weekend, right? You, you cut to the chase, you know, you cut to the chase. Uh, that's why one of my other podcasts is called Cut to the Chase.fm. Uh, where you're trying to cut through the noise, no intros, no longer, no long intros, no long ex outros, no uh, weather uh, or catching up. Right. right to the right to the meat and and tiktok is like the most uh concentrated value right because you literally have 15 seconds uh you and or you can do 60 seconds too but most people try to do it in 15 seconds and now you're like taking the big thing and putting it into 15 seconds okay so that's something that i'm gonna have to look into i've heard of tiktok but that's all is i've heard of it so so well awesome thank you very much it's been great talking to you and that's some great value that you have uh, throughout the entire show. Um, so I, I'm sure that some people will want to reach out to you. What is the best way for someone to reach out to you? Uh, just go to my website, subscribeme.fm. All right. So that, that's the website. Um, yeah, that's, that's like the hub. And you yeah, my, my podcast is also by the same name, subscribeme.fm. If you, you can go to the website and you can see the player, you can uh, sample all the episodes, or you can just search for subscribeme.fm in your favorite podcast app. It's on Spotify, everywhere. Make sure you search for the whole word, subscribeme.fm. And that's where you have my podcast, all my products and services and my coaching, uh, business coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, and my, um, my, my bio and contact us form. Everything is there. 
So, or you mm-hmm. can just send me an email to Ravi. That's R A V as in Victor I at subscribeme.fm. At subscribeme.com. FM. F dot FM. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Well, awesome. Thanks very, very much, Ravi. Uh, Jay Gopal. <laughs> you got it. So thank you. Thank you for being patient while I rambled along. Um, because I, you know, this, this topic is so passionate that I feel like every time I talk to somebody, I feel like I, I want to like download my brain into their audience and, yeah. you know, and give so much value. So I try, I, I probably talk way too, too much. <laughs> Not at all. I, I enjoyed it. And, and, you know, as I said, and you just said, it's all been valued. So thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.